Welcome to Sex Ed Rewind, reflections on how we learn about sex. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. I am pumped to introduce my next guest, a longtime friend of mine, Miss Tekla Persons. Tekla, she, her, currently lives in New York City, where she works for the Peace Corps as a recruiter. She served in the Peace Corps as a rural education development volunteer in Zambia from 2015 to 2017. She graduated from Eckerd College with a double major in anthropology and ancient studies. In her free time, she enjoys reading fantasy, embroidering, sewing, playing Dungeons and Dragons, and hanging out with friends when we are not in a global pandemic, which is not right now. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Tekla. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Kara. It's so nice to be here. How are you feeling tonight? I'm feeling good. I'm excited. A little nervous, honestly. Mm, Don't be nervous. (laughs) Only good butterflies. Okay. So we're going to dive right into it. We like to bring the listeners back to the mind of a young Tekla. So set the scene for us. When you were in high school, we want to know, we want to know what the vibe was. So tell us, what was your favorite band, your favorite fashion trend, and favorite slang word when you were in high school? All right. I guess my favorite band, Lady Gaga? Was that high school? Then yeah, probably her. Okay. That's my favorite answer of anyone on this show ever. So (laughs) well done. You've passed. (laughs) Okay, good. And then fashion trend. I did wear a lot of like Abercrombie, you know, like I thought that was, I remember I had that horrendous sweatshirt skirt. (laughs) Do you remember that? I mean, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, I had that. I thought it was hot shit. Oh my God. Yeah, I sure do remember that skirt. (laughs) Yeah, it felt cute. I had a lot of jean skirts. That was a look. Did you do the popped collar? No, thank God I didn't. I wasn't there. I was like, I don't want to, I'm not like other girls. So I like didn't, I refused to wear leggings. Mm. I refused to wear Uggs, which Mm -hmm. I remember were super popular. But you still rocked the Abercrombie. Yeah, I mean, I was like not, not like other girls. (laughs) I still fell in that category. Like you tried, but like you were still an Abercrombie kid. Yeah, I like, we loved Hollister, we loved Abercrombie and Fitch, oh my god, and those stores were horrible, you couldn't see anything, (laughs) (laughs) the smell was overpowering. (laughs) Wait, that is, that's so triggering, like that, the dim lighting and the assault of the Hollister, like cologne, is something I'll never forget. And like, you're in the dressing room and you're like, I don't even know what I'm wearing. I can't see it in this mirror. <laughs> and you need a size like quadruple XL because the extra smalls are for newborns. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, why did you have a triple zero? <laughs> I, don't- <laughs> I don't know. This is all really good though. I'm really <laughs> glad that, uh, that this is your choice because this is this is tough this is tough to hear yeah oh god it's like really it's bringing me back okay so Hollister slash Abercrombie a solid choice and then your fave slang word from back in the day 
kind of like dope like oh it's dope oh that's mm-hmm. dank you know because you were like smoking weed for the first time and you like think that's cool or mm-hmm. like, like oh yeah let's get some trees like where you gonna smoke like that's <laughs> not a thing <laughs> some trees to referring to weed is pretty good <laughs> yeah that did no one ever do that for you yeah we would call it trees <laughs> Okay, so Tekla was listening to Lady Gaga, which is Sex Ed Rewind approved, <laughs> um, wearing Hollister, which was not is not so much approved, <laughs> and just smoking the trees, you know, smoking <laughs> trees. Okay, so <clears throat> so now we're we're in the mind of a young Tekla. We're there in the in our Hollister sweatpant material skirt. So tell us more about the high school that you attended. Um, where was it located? What city, state, or town? Sure. It was in Bethesda, Maryland, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C. Um, and it was a public high school. It was Bethesda Chevy Chase. Um, and I graduated in 2010. Awesome. So public school outside of DC in the early aughts, the heart of the Abercrombie era. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So now that we are a little bit more in the know about who you were back in the day, where you were at that point in time, let's dive right into our sex education question. So first things first, did you receive any type of sex education? I did. I actually had it in elementary school, middle school, and high school. Wow. Do tell. Um, Yeah. So I had it in fifth grade in elementary school. But I do remember like the videos that we watched and like they're, they like stand out very, very starkly in my mind. They were like, I remember there was one on masturbation and it was like this little boy talking to a zookeeper about it. What? Yeah. And like, he was like, will my hands get fur if I masturbate? And the zookeeper was like, no, like the monkeys masturbate and it's fine. And I just like, I don't know why that, but that like sticks out of my mind so much. That's weird. That's weird. Yeah. And there is one about kid getting a wet dream, someone getting pimples and the line like I just remember she like looked in the mirror at school and she was like it can't be picture day today and she was like moving her nose all around she's covered in pimples just like a fucking witch covered in pimples yeah Not exactly. a picture day can't be picture day today <laughs> <laughs> oh my god wait that's actually I mean the zookeeper thing weird but that's pretty progressive that they were starting to have conversations with you about masturbation and ejaculation in elementary school because a lot of people don't even get that at all so that's kind of good yeah I mean I definitely like looking back on it it was like all I feel like all of that was like very male focused Mm-hmm. which I think is, you know, kind of an interesting perspective, like looking back on it, it's like, yeah, that's like cool that we were like learning about masturbation and like wet dreams, but like I didn't learn about female masturbation <laughs> at all. Yeah. Okay. So that was in, yeah, that was fifth grade. And then in 
middle school, I think we talked more about like pregnancy and like how that happened. And then in high school, we had more of a health class that was like all encompassing of like drugs, alcohol. And I remember we like put condoms on bananas. And then we watched that one video that it was like condoms being put on like wooden dicks. And that was like super crazy. Yeah, I mean, putting condoms on bananas, putting condoms on wooded dildos is leaps and bounds above the sex ed that a lot of folks get in high school. So <clears throat> props to Bethesda for, <laughs> props to old Bethesda Chevy Chase oh. for, for doing that. <laughs> and so do you remember who taught that? Like, were they trained sex educators or not? <laughs> I don't know if they were a trained sex educator, but I do remember the teacher. Her name is Miss Liz um, and she was super cool. And I remember her being like really approachable and like really good friends with a lot of students too. Like a lot of people felt very comfortable like coming to her and talking to her about stuff. My health class actually like had a girl who was pregnant in it. And so like when we were talking about like early pregnancy and stuff, like she, the teacher, like Miss Liz was like super cool about it and like very non-judgmental about the whole situation. I do remember her being a mentor to people in in the student body too. So it sounds like you kind of have an overall positive vibe when you think back on it. Yeah, honestly, I do. Like I feel luckier than most that I had like a pretty comprehensive sex education, like not just from school, the church I grew up in. I grew up Unitarian Universalist, which is like a pretty like liberal church. One year during our like religious education, I think it was eighth grade, we took a class called our whole lives and it was all like sex ed relationships and it was super queer friendly sex positive it addressed different types of relationships like across the spectrum differently abled relationship interracial relationships queer relationships like really got into it I didn't really appreciate it then but like looking back on it that's huge that was a crazy super progressive sex ed you know pre-high school I had these foundations that I like brought with me later on yeah and I think that's so interesting because usually the presence of the church in one's life has a negative impact on their view of sex and sexuality. So to hear the exact opposite of that is really refreshing. I mean, I'm not practicing anymore or anything like that, but like, I thought it was a really great environment to grow up in. Women and men were equal. There was a lot of people of the queer community involved in the church. So it was really mind opening and trying to broaden your perspective of the world. I think I appreciate it more now. When I was in it, I was like, oh, I don't want to wake up and go to church on Sunday. That sucks. But now I'm like, that was cool. <laughs> like, I was mm. actually like looking up some of the curriculum and stuff before this. And, you know, they have it for all ages and they even have it for like, seniors. And it's just really cool that they have this kind of education that they're giving to like all age groups. Yeah. And I mean, it's definitely worth noting that it's still really progressive. I mean, there's so much more maybe accessible today because of the way that social media is and for the speed and the breadth at which we can share information. But there's still plenty of places in the country that are way, way far behind what you just described. Yeah, 100%. That's so true. It's such a good example of what 
the presence of church in a young person's life could look like, like having a space that's not school, that's not your parents, that you can kind of go and learn about this. Because a lot of times, even if you're in a household where your parents are talking about it, or the grownups in your household are talking about it, or you're getting some type of sex ed at school, like those are very particular environments in which you might not feel very sexual, or you might not feel as a young person that you can safely or confidentially open up about sex and sexuality. Like it's your teacher, you know, I'm, I'm all for bringing someone in specifically to teach sex education because it allows students to develop that kind of relationship with them. Like if it's your PE teacher, you know, or your parent or your aunt or whoever is giving you that information, like you might not open up in the same way that you would for like a third party, like a a safe space, like your church was for you. Yeah, absolutely. And like, when I think about sex ed, like my mind immediately goes to that class because yeah, it was two, you know, adults who were in the church. They were trained as facilitators. They were younger. I remember they did create like a really safe space. And I remember actually someone in my class at the time, like came out as lesbian. And that was like really one of my first memories associated with that. Just thinking back to that, that they felt so, you know, comfortable in that space that they were able to disclose that information to us for the first time. And I thought that was really powerful. It was a really cool experience. And like, I remember they did this one session where it was a slideshow and it was of different drawings of different types of love. And so like, there was a lot of queer representation, different like abled bodies. There was drawings of that, you know, they were naked and they were holding each other. I remember one image of like a woman who uh, she had a mastectomy and it was like her partner another woman was there holding her and like you could see everything the seeing those images they still are so vivid in my mind about love doesn't just look between a man and a woman an able-bodied man and an able-bodied woman like or like a cis man and a cis woman exactly yeah 100 percent that was really impactful for me and how I, I don't know, was able to view people or accept people later on. Yeah. The sex education you get as a young person directly impacts how you view the romantic interactions of people moving forward. It just does, you know, like if you're open to it, if you're closed off to it, if you're curious about it, if you're engaging in it yourself, there's a direct line there. So I'm interested to hear how all of this stuff sort of coalesced outside of these spaces. So when you were with your friends, did you guys talk about sex? Were they a big source of sex education for you? What did that look like? It kind of started, I would say, in high school. I think my junior and senior year is really when I started talking to friends about it. I remember one of my friends started having sex regularly and like was telling me about it. And I was just kind of like, what? is this like what are you doing oh my god I'm just like sharing all this stuff of like all of these kinky exploits and maybe now they're probably not as kinky as I thought but to me I was like shocked I was like oh my god like you're doing all this stuff good for you I actually I bought my first vibrator with her junior year I was not sexually active so I didn't know what I was doing but I was gathering information (laughs) for later Mm -hmm. We still had some misinformation about the risks involved. I do remember in high school, not a lot of my friends were using condoms, birth control. 
And I think birth control was like kind of a taboo subject. It wasn't super common for people to be on it at that point, at least among my friends, because you had to get your parents permission. Yeah. Okay. So you had school, which was pretty good. You had your church group, which was pretty, pretty good. You had your friends outside of those three spaces. Was there anywhere else that acted as a large source of information about sex for you? Not my parents. They gave me a bunch of books. Didn't really watch porn. I didn't really know it existed, I think, to be honest. And like my family had a shared computer. I wasn't going to just watch it on that. Get in there. In our living room, you know, (laughs) not really a great environment. (laughs) Not so much like other spaces, I would say, outside of those Mm -hmm. ones. I feel like young people often are driven to those alternative spaces when they're not getting a lot of information about sex from the main spaces that they inhabit. So the fact that you were getting a fair bit of information at school and you had this church group, you were getting what you needed. You were getting a lot of information, good information. They created an environment where you felt safe to ask questions, to learn with your peers, to engage with the material in a way that was healthy for you. So it sounds like you didn't have a a great need to go exploring and searching for information about sex in other places because you were really getting it where you needed to get it. Yeah, that's super true. You know, I never really thought about it in that way. I did have a lot of resources at the time and like they were given to me. So I didn't really feel the need to search other stuff out. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of times young people turn to porn because they have all these feelings And they want to be sexual or they want to know about sex. They want to learn about it. They want to see what it's like. They have all these questions and no one's talking to them about it. No one's giving them that information. So they're going to go on the internet, you know, or make some shit up with their friends or, you know, whatever young people do. But when you create those spaces and those outlets, you just have much more control over the sex education that, that you give young people. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I knew condoms existed. I knew about birth control. When I did first become sexually active, I just asked my mom and she was like, okay. <laughs> you know, like she was a little a little hesitant, but she said yes. And so like I went on it. And so I had access pretty readily to this kind of information. And that's amazing. I mean, just the fact that you felt like you could go up to your mom and say like, I'm thinking about having sex. Can I have some birth control? I think is so telling of one where you were as a young person to have the empowerment within yourself to be like, I, this is what I need and I'm going to ask for it because I know it's going to keep me healthy. And then to know that you could turn to, to your mother for that, I think is so telling of the environment that your community created for you around sex and how positive it was. Yeah. You're right. Like I knew the steps I needed to take to not get pregnant. And then after that, I was like, I'm going to go on birth control. <laughs> Uh, Yeah. When you knew that you needed to make a change in order to make your sex life more healthy, you turned to your mom. Yeah. And as the oldest, it was an awkward conversation, but she agreed. She said, sure. So we went to the gynecologist. That's what a success story looks like, (laughs) folks. If you ask me, (laughs) like that's epic and all too rare, unfortunately. So, okay, let's move on into a conversation about your intersecting identities. So can you share with us the intersecting identities that you feel were important to your sex education experience? Sure. So I identify as a cis woman. I 
recently have started self-identifying as a bisexual woman. And so in my sex education experience, I was going through it through a heterosexual lens. I didn't really realize until really a couple years ago that feeling attraction to women wasn't something that like other women also felt. <laughs> I thought it was just normal. They were all like, yeah, that girl's hot. I like her boobs. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. no, not all of us feel that way. So... <laughs> You know, I, I have a hard time still claiming that queer identity because I think I lived so much of my life thinking I was heterosexual. And so not having those same you know, coming out experiences or like feeling like I wasn't represented when I was younger, which like... N- you know, in sex ed. And now looking back on it, I really didn't know what being bisexual was. And I didn't know anyone who was I thought you were either gay or you were straight. Like there was no Mm -hmm. between you either liked the same sex or you didn't, you know, and I think that definitely impacted me coming out as bisexual or like really claiming that for myself, because I just didn't know. And I think there is so much biphobia and stuff too. And like the queer and straight community where I never felt queer enough because like I also liked men and so I think that that took me a long time to try and navigate and figure out and like feel comfortable and just be like you know what I can be I am gay too you know I had a really great sex ed education experience on the whole but that was something that I think I was missing not knowing that I could have identified as this much earlier Yeah. I believe the phrase is you can't be what you can't see, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you literally didn't know what a bisexual was, how were you to know that you were one? Yeah. To put it simply. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I had no clue they existed. like a mythical creature. Mm -hmm. Who knew? Yeah. But it's so true. And I think even oftentimes within sex education curricula that are great, we still have those binaries. You are gay or you are straight. You are a man or you are a woman, right? And so even though you got great sex education and you did see representation of folks in the gay community, you still didn't see anything about folks that were neither gay nor straight. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, that was hard. And like, even through college, you know, I didn't really realize. And It was honestly within the past two years that I've like started. I mean, you that were there, you saw me like start this journey where I was like, I think I want to date women too. (laughs) Like, I think that took me a lot to like even get to that step where I was like, even felt comfortable enough because, you know, I had an experience where I had sex with a woman and I was like, I didn't like that. And now looking back on it, I was like, that could have just been that one person. It doesn't mean that it necessarily is all encompassing. I think, especially in college, I had friends who slept with men and women. But when they slept with women, we were like, oh, it's just a blip. They're actually straight. Now they're dating a guy. You know, it was like, oh, yeah, you can definitely hook up with women, but it's not part of your sexuality, really, you know? Yeah, I think also that is so culturally ingrained in us via the media. We see women sleeping with other women as something that women do to turn on men. Yeah. That's kind of the narrative that we're sold, right? Like all those like movies about college, like the party is crazy when there's two girls making out on the dance floor and like all the boys are standing around watching them. And like, that must be the only reason why two girls would make out. 
Yeah, 100%. Like, I definitely made out with a lot of girls in college and post-college, but I never thought of it as, oh, you're bisexual or you're pansexual. It's like, actually, maybe there's something more to that. (laughs) Yeah. Not even knowing that that was an option for you because you didn't have, as a young person, a desire for women in the same way that you had a desire for men. You just write off any other option for you other than straight because no one tells you that not all desire looks the same or desires change, or you can in fact be attracted to many different genders. You know, you don't have to just be gay or straight. And without that language or someone who is living that experience, like why, why would you even think that it's something that you could do? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so glad that we have that language and that representation now to be able to you know, name those things. I mean, like, this is, it's okay that I'm attracted to men. I can still be attracted to lots of other other genders. I can be attracted to non-binary people, women. There's so much more out there. And I feel like so much more comfortable in that too. I always felt like so limited. Being able to give language to that is so important. Yeah. And like, just because you're dating a man doesn't mean you're not bi anymore. I think that's another struggle. (laughs) Yeah, that's huge. I feel that way personally. And I feel like I've gotten a lot of shame from other partners being like, you're attracted to men, you're not really gay and it's like wait like but I I want to be like I'm trying but I am but I am like why are you making me feel shitty for like the people I'm attracted to it can't be picture day it can't be picture day today (laughs) and so I think you know and that's still something I struggle with thinking about I'm on TikTok because I'm lame (laughs) as fuck But I see a lot of other bisexual women being like, I'm dating a man, I'm in love with this man, but I just realized that I'm also attracted to women. I haven't hooked up with a woman or I haven't hooked up with another person of another gender. And I feel so excluded from the community because of that. And just because you haven't doesn't mean that you're not, you know, it's your identity. You get to choose it. I think bi people in general just kind of have it hard. It's hard to navigate. Bi visibility is not there period. It's also not there specifically within the queer community. You know, I think it's often erased or misunderstood or just not represented well or at all. By visibility, by erasure. Yeah. Yeah. By erasure is huge. So many people experience it. I mean, it kind of makes sense knowing how our culture feels about the binary like we can understand that there's a gay and a straight but if it doesn't fit into that binary or it doesn't fit into those two boxes we can't wrap our head around it at all you know and like being bi is squarely not in either of those boxes yeah that's so that's like same with like non-binary people you know it's like we don't understand why aren't you one or the other it's a whole spectrum there's so much in between and yeah it sucks (laughs) yeah for sure We talked a little bit about your sexuality, but I'm curious about the gender, which we alluded to a little bit in the beginning. How did you feel about the representation of women in your sex education experience? There was none. (laughs) Yeah, like it was definitely from a male gaze, especially in terms of masturbation. And we didn't learn about pleasure at all. You know, it was strictly mechanics. This is how you get pregnant. 
there was really no representation of female pleasure. I truthfully like didn't start masturbating until Peace Corps probably. And that was a year after I graduated college. You know, yeah. like I was well into my 20s. And I think it, it goes back to representation again. If nobody tells you that women masturbate, if you're a woman, what? why would you think that you should be masturbating? I mean, you know, young, young people are going to believe what we tell them. They're going to read the messages that we write on the wall and uh, they're going to behave that way. So I think it makes perfect sense, you know? I mean, it's, it's not good, but it makes sense why a lot of women either don't masturbate at all or their masturbation journey is, is delayed. Yeah, I definitely didn't see it in any context. And then when I was introduced to it, I wasn't comfortable. I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable doing it. Like I didn't really know how a dildo or vibrator worked and like, but when I started masturbating, boy, did that change everything. <laughs> Haven't stopped since, folks. Oh no, <laughs> highly suggest 10 out of 10. <laughs> I love it. We really have to commit to talking about pleasure, particularly female sexual pleasure and sex education, because it does not play an integral role to reproduction. So yeah. for example, if you're talking about how a baby is made, it ejaculated sperm is required to have that conversation. Yeah. And so male pleasure gets brought up just by virtue of that fact. Yeah. And so we all grow up knowing we know how to pleasure people with penises, right? And we know that pleasuring people with penises is required during sex. Like those are the messages that we're given. The notion that anyone that doesn't have a penis could experience any type of pleasure is erased. Yeah, not mentioned ever. Not mentioned at all. And not so- Not important to the process. Because it's not important to the process. And so therefore we teach folks that have vulvas that their pleasure doesn't matter. And, you know, you got to figure it out on your own. And we teach people with penises that the pleasure of people with vulvas is secondary to your own pleasure. Yes, 100%. And so unless you're actively trying to have a sex positive, pleasure centered sex education, you're just going to end up reinforcing those stereotypes and erasing female sexual pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. And we also just love men. So like we want to talk about penises all the time in this damn culture. Obviously. I mean, like how many phallic buildings can one nation have? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but I mean, that also is like another reason why I don't really like watching porn is because it's so filmed through the male gaze. And it's just like, it doesn't turn me on. It's not sensual. And I, I think I like, even from, you know, when I first started watching in college, I was like, I don't enjoy this. Like, this is not what I want to see in order to turn me on. Yeah. And I think that porn literacy has to be a conversation in sex ed, especially today with the internet being what it is and access to porn being what it is. If you want young people, future adults, right? People that are going to turn into adults yeah. to understand what porn is and how to find porn that is ethical. We have to teach them because whatever you find on Google isn't going to be ethical. Yeah. Okay. So- I would love to bring it forward to today. Mm -hmm. I am curious to know how you think your sex education journey has impacted your relationship to sex today. 
Yeah, I didn't have exposure at all to bisexuality or what that even means or pansexuality. So that was a big deterrent to me coming out and self-identifying as bisexual. And it took me you know, 28 years, but like I'm here. I'm late to the party, but I arrived. <laughs> um, We're happy you're here. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Do you remember, I'm curious, when did things turn around for you when you were like, okay, I think I want to really start masturbating or, okay, I'm going to embrace the bisexuality in me. Do you remember what the catalysts for those things were? For masturbation, it was definitely when we were in Peace Corps and I wasn't having sex regularly with anyone. And I was like, you know, I can do this myself. I'm really now going to take the time to like figure it out. And that was definitely eye-opening for me. I think that was really when... I was able to explore my own pleasure in a safe space where I didn't, I wasn't doing it to like impress anyone else or it wasn't part of foreplay. Really, I was like, I need to have my needs met. (laughs) So I'm going to do it myself. And so I learned a lot that way, I would say. That was probably like the big changing point. And then in terms of bisexuality, it was probably a little bit during Peace Corps too. Maybe those are some big years for me. (laughs) That was the first time I had sex with a woman was during my service. But coming back to the US, I got into a polyamorous relationship and I felt like I had more of an opportunity to kind of like date and explore my sexuality and my interests. And I kind of just like it kind of went from there. I started seeing someone um, who's non-binary. They helped me a lot through my journey being like, you are gay. You are queer. You're secure in your sexuality. It's okay. That validation. That validation to be like, oh, yes. Okay. That's good to hear from someone else in the community. Yeah. I'm queer enough. Yeah. They're I like, swear. I'm pansexual. You're pansexual. You're bi. Like, you're good. Like, I was like, oh. This is great to know. I had no idea. Uh, And so that, I think, you know, that experience really was formative for me to be like, I can own this. And like, you know, I came out to my parents. I like told them. Oh, I told my mom and my mom told my dad, you know, (laughs) that kind of thing. Whatever works, baby. Yeah. And then I, you know, and my sisters like know and like are super supportive of me. So like I feel like now I'm in a place where like I own it. I know what I am. And like, but it was a long, you know, it took like two years, I would say, to like get to this point where I am now from just like experimenting, trying to figure it out to being like, yes, this is who I am. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for sharing that journey with us. Okay. So is there anything that you wish you could unlearn? I feel like there were certain aspects around male pleasure that I maybe wasn't just like sex ed in general, but from the media, from the outside, you know, blue balls, like you need to let the man come or it hurts. Or like, if you're giving head, you have to swallow. It's rude to spit. You know, it's like these weird little things that aren't true at all, but have somehow been passed down. And I think I spent a lot of time concerned about and having to be like, oh no, I don't have to do those things if I don't want to. Hell yeah. Yeah. Those are really good ones. And you can't quite remember how you learned them, but you know you learned them because everybody knew them and you're sure they were fact. Yeah. I just remember being like, if you don't swallow, you're a bitch. Yes. Insane to say that out loud now. (laughs) 
Yeah. Like what? Of course you're not. Like you can do whatever. Whatever, babe. Like it doesn't matter. They're going to be fine. Oh, you know what another thing is? If you swallowed and then they wouldn't kiss you after. I feel like that was such a thing. You know, it was like a weird dichotomy. It's like, you're a bitch if you don't swallow but you're also dirty, so they're not going to kiss you. Yeah. Is it a lose-lose scenario for women? Yeah. Surprising. Imagine. Who would have think of such a thing? <laughs> Two bad options? What? Oh, my God. Unheard of. <laughs> Unheard of. Oh, my God. Those are really good ones. Okay. Thank you. So the final question of our time together. Oh. Knowing what you know now, what do you wish that your sex education journey could have looked like? I would love more representation, more hands-on learning, less medical, I would say, you know, and like incorporate a more diverse representation as well. Learning about bisexuality, learning about pansexuality, learning about being trans, non-binary, talking about porn literacy, talking about masturbation and like all different forms. Like I think all of those things would be really important to include in a sex education curriculum. Yeah, I would really wish that. And I think like Let's talk about consent. Let's talk about a lot of things. And I think, you know, it's an ever, ever growing and ever changing sphere. So like, it should be a continual learning process too. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for sex education in perpetuity. Yeah, we go to adult sex ed classes. I teach adult sex ed. We all need it all the time. (laughs) Yeah, because there's so much changing and so much information and you can just learn and grow so much. Me personally, in the last four or five years, my sex education and sex knowledge has really like exploded even more so than like what I've already had. Yeah. It's an ever changing thing. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Tecla, what a joy. What a joy it has been conversing with you today. Same to you. It's always so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for opening up with us and sharing your story. I'm so thrilled to share this episode. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Carol. You can find the show on Instagram at sexedrewind or online on my website at caroconfort.me. I drop new episodes to podcast platforms every Monday. The cover art and website are by Kelsey Reifler and the podcast is produced and edited all by me. 